worship guide so you can take notes if you'd like. It's Man, I love this little afternoon, intimate setting. I can look you right in the eye and you should be like, yeah, so this would be good. I could look everyone in the eye through the whole thing. It would be exciting. Uh, so, you know, the summer conversation in July on grief and layers and levels of grief, we're actually going to have a panel. Uh, Tana Frost lost her husband in um, a tragic uh, motorcycle accident. Uh, Sandy Tobias um, deals with chronic illness. Chad Bodwin is a counselor in Green Bay. He's going to be talking about how a church deals with grief together. And then lastly, we're having a chaplain from Sheboygan come and talk about how do I minister or talk to someone that is grieving. Uh, So it's going to be quite an interesting uh, panel to learn uh, about grief. Uh, I know it sounds like not a very exciting or joyful topic in the summer, but I truly believe if we learn to grieve well, we will learn how to actually live a life that is full of more joy. And so I encourage you, uh, to come to the a conversation in July. Well, Peter Gibbons uh, came to a realization one day that his job was a joke. And all this work and toil that he had spent in this tech company in Texas was just no good. And uh, one day uh, he just said, I'm done. I am done working on Saturdays. And so the human resources people came in and sat him down to talk about, you know, what his experience at work was like. And uh, this is what Peter Gibbons said about his work experience. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late through the side door so the boss can't see me. Then I just sort of space out at my desk for about an hour. Then after lunch, I do that again, just space out for an hour. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of actual work. Some of you realize I'm quoting um, a movie, uh, which is Office Space. Uh, it's, a, it's a cult classic. If you're under the age of 20, I'm sorry, maybe you have not seen it, but uh, most people in my range have seen it. It's so good. Uh, But you realize that Peter, this character in this movie, Office Space, is going through what I call an Ecclesiastes uh, moment about labor in his job. And really, that's what we're going to be after today, an Ecclesiastes moment about our job, about work, about labor. What are we to make of our energy that we spend at school? Our energy we spend at our jobs. Are we supposed to look at it like Peter? Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity. Do we just space out? Maybe you resonate with Peter's feelings about work, about toil, about labor. If you do, I have good news for you. Because you are going to read a book that resonates with that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. Let's look together, shall we? Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity. 
and is striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. The word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, we're on a quest. A quest for the meaning of life. And this preacher, what he's called the preacher, is how you translate it in the English. In the Hebrew, it's the word koheleth. This one speaking to the assembly is on this quest for meaning. Surely you'd say, Through this quest, when he looks at his job and looks at labor, he would find meaning, right? Your job, you'll find meaning there. That's where you'll find it. And we're going to see his quest through labor today. You see in his quest, and as you read this chapter, he observes, he sees, he takes it in. He takes what is around him, the things that are under the sun, and he experiences them. When you say under the sun, this is what it means. It's repeated many, many times in Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means this. It means everything in the physical or material world. We're not talking about transcendence. We're not talking about the supernatural or anything like that. We're talking about what we experience. And here, Koheleth is not talking about the transcendent. He is talking about what he experiences, what he can see physically. And this is his experiment of looking at just what is under the sun. Not what's above the sun, not God, not transcendent. He's just looking at what's under the sun. Can I find meaning? Can I find purpose with what is just in the physical world? And his adventure, his quest at this point, takes us to work. Well, the idea of under the sun might sound very philosophical to some of you. Many of you say, well, I don't live a life that is just under the sun. I'm a Christian. You might say, I come to church. I don't live that kind of way. Well, I do wonder about that. Do you believe that your actions, that your work has meaning? 
Do you believe changing that diaper for the fifth time in one day, there is actually a God that has purpose behind the changing of that diaper? Do you believe that 20 millionth spreadsheet that you filled out for work actually has some supernatural purpose to it? Do you believe that a job where you might move things, rocks around from one place to another, actually has some sort of meaning? Painting another wall at house or gardening another plant, whatever it might be, does it have purpose and meaning? I do think that many of us, after the 5,000th diaper, maybe it's that much for Josh, that you go, is there purpose in this? Or is it meaningless, meaningless? See, Koheleth, he labels work in a very pejorative way, a negative way. He calls it toil, right? A better word would be productivity, right? But he calls it toil. And I don't think he's just talking about work in a job. He's talking about the energy of life. What we exert our power in doing. House projects, time walking our dog, running races, Minecraft. Is there, is there some Minecraft players here, maybe? Adults will raise their hand to say, I play Minecraft. No, no, no. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, Zach. I was uh, there, right there. You know, these things are all toil, he says. They're vanity, they're meaningless. So you might be wondering, why did Dan and Josh pick Ecclesiastes for a summer study? I could be outside rather than hearing this depressing talk at church on a Sunday evening. I want to tell you good news today. There is one word that is in this chapter that's used four times. That we see Koheleth starting to see some things that are above the sun. Just glimpses of it. And the word that he uses is the word better. Better. There's a bad way of looking at labor and toil, but there is a better way to get a view just not of what is under the sun, but to see something with eternity, with perspective, with meaning to the work that we have. Better. Okay, if you've Checked out from right now. Here's your time to check back in because here's the thesis. Here's the big idea, okay? How does looking above the sun, looking at eternity, looking at transcendence, change the way that we look at our work, our toil, our effort? Three things, ready? It brings contentment versus envy. That's number one. Number two, it teaches us to be teachable versus being stubborn. Number three, it makes our work one of partnership versus lonely pursuits. So contentment versus envy, teachable versus being stubborn, and seeing work as a partnership versus lonely pursuits. Well, let's look together, shall we? Look back at the word, okay? Verse 4, what does it say? 
Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and is striving after wind. Here it is, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, nothing new under the sun, keeping up with the Joneses, right here in Ecclesiastes. Here it is saying that all that people do, the reason they exert so much energy, as James talks a little bit here, earlier, the reason they put so much work into things is because they want to look good. They want to compete with their friends. They want to look like they are better than them. Well, that sounds very hyperbolic. That seems very extreme that he would say, then I saw that all toil, all work, all of this is envy of neighbor. How can he say that, that all statement? Well, again, he is observing life like it's like under the sun. If there, all that there is, all that there is in life is this world. All there is is the material world. There is nothing else. But guess what we got to do? we got to squeeze as much out of it as we possibly can. Because that's all there is. That's all we're going to get. You better work as hard as you can to get as much as you can because there is nothing more than what you're going to experience here. And then when you see other people and how they live and you see their experiences and how they are doing, you say, man, I wish I had that. I wish I could be like them. Now, if you're pushing against the preacher and saying, I don't live that way, um, how about Facebook envy? You know what I mean? Facebook envy. When you see that your friend has taken another trip to Hawaii and you go, what? How does that guy get another trip to Hawaii? Or your friend with kids, they take a picture of them out to dinner, and you go, I haven't been able to afford dinner with my kids in six months. And here they are, taking a vacation out to dinner. Facebook envy. Jamie Enberg. Jamie Enberg. His mom and dad had a Jeep, you know, with the top down, and they had a cassette player in there. And I was seven years old, and we didn't have to wait for Duran Duran to get on the radio. We could just put the cassette in, and Duran Duran could play at any time. That was amazing for me at seven years old, that you could have a cassette player in the car. Now we, we have a van with a cassette player in it, um, it's embarrassing to have a cassette player in the car, okay? My kids go, what is that? That's what they say. They have no idea what a cassette is. Isn't that amazing? That 20 years later, that all that money, all that toil, all that work to get a cassette player in the car is obsolete. You see what he's saying? You envy and you strive to be like your neighbor and to get what they have, but don't you know it's vanity? One minute it's cool, 20 years later it's not cool. Let's face it, in our culture, it's not 20 years later, it's two years later. I mean, you get an upgrade on your phone every two years, right? (laughs) 
What we work and strive for now in 20 years, who cares? Vanity, vanity. I love C.S. Lewis's thoughts on this. Please hear this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next person. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. I wonder if Josh would have tried to punt that ball so hard if he knew his cousin couldn't punt at all. I wonder if I would be such a jerk playing Settlers of Catan knowing that my wife doesn't care. How much toil and energy do we spend on running, on looking good and having a nice house or working on things just so we can compete with other people and look what we have it together? I think it does two major things if we live this way. One, it destroys our joy for work. Instead of being content in the gifts that God has given us, we many times try to take jobs that don't fit our personality and our skills just because we want to have as much as someone else. And then we're discouraged with the jobs that we do have. If only I could be a physician and make tons of money like a physician does. Little do we know, 200 years ago, physicians made hardly anything. Rather than just being a teacher. Instead of actually caring about the gifts that we have been given, we want to strive outside of how we've been made to fit something else. That's in one problem with it. The second problem is this. It becomes a barbed wire fence to relationships. Rather than rejoicing in the gifts that God has given other people, we are jealous. Oh, if I could only have that skill. And then we're not able to relate to those type of people who say, oh, I just want to be like them. Rather than rejoicing in what they have. We're saying, I can never relate to them because they live on that part of town. They have that kind of job. They run with those types of people. You see, when we start to see that life is more than just what's under the sun, but things that are above the sun, we see our value doesn't just come from our paycheck. That we see this, that the person that works at Quick Trip is as valuable as the person that works at UW Oshkosh. You see, when we look at life that it's all its value is what's under the sun and what you can gather right here and now, then you see the person at Quick Trip, you say, they're less than me. The person at Oshkosh, I never can be like them. But no, when we see that all of us are made in the image of God, that we are created equal under him, that no matter what jobs we have, we are equal. So I can sit in church with someone that works at Quick Trip and someone that teaches at E.W. Oshkosh and know this, we are both sinners. We both have needs. 
We both will die. But sometimes the pendulum switches the other way. Look with me. Verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So, well, I'm not that person that works hard and toils and gets all this time in my job so I can compete with other people. I've just given up. I'm not playing that game. Forget it. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to be lazy. Those people that work, they can be prideful. They can compete. They can do all those things. I'm not playing that game. This is what I want to say to that. In fact, the person that lazy is actually also prideful. It's the pride of a bruised ego. One that says, I'm done competing because I am a failure, you might say to yourself. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to see that there is something above the sun. I've been made with purpose, with a plan. Even though I'm changing my fifth diaper today, there is still purpose behind that. There is reason behind that. I love the poetic description that Koheleth uses. What does he say? He eats his own flesh. What does that mean? I don't think it's literal that he's eating his own flesh, but it's really saying the person is wasting away. Maybe if you play video games for 12 hours a day, that some people do, you are wasting away and eating your own flesh in that kind of way. But not literally eating your own flesh, but wasting away from the inside with bitterness. Oh, wish I could be like that person and just being lazy. Or saying the world is against me. Or self-pity. It just eats away at you. But here, Koheleth responds to these two approaches. The working hard and hard to get envy and to be better than others. And the other way, just to be lazy. He gives a third way that we start to see things that are above the sun. And he cues it to us by using, again, the word better. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. The word quietness is probably meaning contentment or peace. And the image he uses is this. The one one person just toils and strives with two hands, meaning he grabs as much as he can, so both hands are full. But the person that's content and quiet and fine with where they are, they might have less. Because it's just with one hand. He's saying, better is the one that doesn't try to grab and grab and grab with both hands, but instead just takes with one and might take less. I love G.K. Chesterton on this topic. Please hear this. He says, there's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. I'll say it again so it sinks in. There's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. 
You see, when you start seeing above the sun, you could see this, that maybe my contentment and my peace doesn't come from me grabbing and grabbing for myself. What can I gain here? But instead, it might be taking one hand and clinging to God and saying, God, you can be my contentment even if I have less. Let's skip down. We'll get back to the middle section, which I think is a really good part. But I want to look again at verses 13 through 16. Read with me here. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. You see, what Ecclesiastes is really good at doing and Koheleth is really doing is painting a sad picture for us. And what the sad picture is this. Here is people that have worked hard their whole life. And then at the end of the day, after all this work, they realize that it is nothing but a vapor. It's an enigma. It's a mystery. They've tried to cling on to meaning with all this toil and work, and it's just slipped through their fingers. And what's sad about this is here's a king. He's finally arrived. He's the head of this kingdom. I mean, there is no one that's above him, right? Because everything's under the sun. So he decides himself what to do. Here he is, has arrived, and here comes this upshot, young buck, poor and in prison, and then like that, takes his crown. That is sad. All that work to get to that place, and then it's all gone. Could you imagine working at a job for all, all that time to get to be a boss, and then in one minute you lose your job to some 30-year-old? That happens more often than you think. And what is the better that he's saying? What does he see that is better that we could start to look at what's eternal, what's above the sun? He says what is better is this. The king was no longer able to take advice. You see, the point of this passage is not to be a young buck poor person that is able to take advice and then be able to take jobs from someone else. That's not the point of the passage. The point is this. That whether you're a king or a young buck, as later it says in the passage, one day your authority will be gone. Because what does it say? One day this young person that had all that power, guess what? That will go away too, and people will not remember him. The point is, whatever position you are in, no matter how high you are up on the ladder, there is always one above you. There is always one above the sun. See, if life is all that there is, is what is under the sun, if you get to a position of power, you say, who gets to tell me what to do? No one gets to tell me what to do. I get to tell myself what to do. But if you believe there is transcendence, there is a God above you, that no matter what position you're in, pastor, parent, boss, no matter what, there is one that has an authority above you. And you can be one that is teachable in that place. No matter how high you climb. You know, I, um, I got to work in Washington, D.C. 
and went to college in D.C., and one of the greatest moments of working in D.C. was uh, I got to go to the State of the Union address, and I just I kind of laugh at politics because it, it's always the moment is like the, the biggest thing the world's about to end. I remember going to that State of the Union address, it was the same way. It was like the world was going to end. Because I went in 1997, and at that time, the Monica Lewinsky scandal had just broke. And here is Bill Clinton talking, um, and the Republicans are in control at that time. And um, it, was just, uh, it was just ugly. I mean, people were jeering during the State of the Union address, all those things. Newt Gingrich was there, of course, the Speaker of the House, the Republican, behind um, the president just kind of scowling at him because he knew about this affair and the Lewinsky thing. And Newt's trying to take his job and get more seats in the House. Fighting over each other for power. A year later... <laughs> Clinton's still in office. Newt Gingrich has lost his hold on the speakership because they lost seats in the House. And Fred Livingston, who was the majority leader um, in the House, Republican, wanted Newt Gingrich's job and had been gunning for it and been talking bad about Newt. He takes the job of the speaker for a day (laughs) because they find out he had an affair too. And he was gone. Vanity, vanity. There's no one above me. I can act the way I want to. I can do what I want to do. There's no one that can tell me what to do. Because there is no above the sun. If you've got enough money, if you've got enough power, what rules you? I love what John Calvin says in the Institutes. There is a word that Calvin uses over and over again in the Institutes. It's the word this, teachable. He says this is a mark of Christian character, being teachable. Why would it be a mark of a Christian to be teachable? It'd be a mark of a Christian to be teachable because they know this. No matter how far they've come, no matter how high they are on the ladder, there is a God that is above them that is telling them that they are still fallen short, that he is holy and they are not. And they can hear advice from people younger than them that are less experienced than them because, you know what, they might have something to say to them. You might have heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. The older we get, do you know what a mark of Christian maturity is? The older we become in our Christian maturity, the more teachable we should become, the more humble we should become, not the more, what, I'm going to try to use a polite word, Uh, crotchety, that's probably not a right word, right? We shouldn't become more stubborn the older we get as Christians, We should become more humble the older we get because the more we realize how great God is and how we are not. Content versus being envious. Teachable versus being stubborn is a way that we can look at our toil and work if we look at things above the sun. Last one. You guys are doing well? You guys still doing? Still tracking? Still okay? Okay, great. Okay. Verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who who has no other, 
either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. What does Koheleth observe? He observes one person alone, not satisfied with riches. And you know how sad it's become for this person? All his relationships are gone around him. He has no one around him at all. And then he opens his eyes one day and he goes, all this work I've done, all this toil for riches, I don't even know why I'm doing it. J. Paul Getty, one of the richest men, was the richest man in America at one point in the 20th century, fits this description of verse 7 and 8. Getty's got great quotes. Grew up in a Christian home, said, I'm done with Christianity, I'm not doing this game. And this is what he said in one of his quotes. An oil tycoon. If you can actually count your money, then you're not a rich man. See, he lived that all that matters is what's under the sun, the material world. That's all there is. He loved to mock his parents, his Christian parents. This is what he said to his parents. The meek shall inherit the earth, you know, Christ's statement, but not its mineral rights. The meek shall inherit the earth, but not its mineral rights. Getty was married and divorced five times. His fifth uh, marriage, his son by his fifth marriage, um, he died when he was 12. He didn't attend that son's funeral. His first wife, many claim, um, coined the term married to his work. That's what he, she called Getty, a man married to his work. And Getty would respond to these accusations. He said this. Lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure. I'll say it again. Hear this. A lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure. See, if all there is is what's under the sun, just eat, drink, and be merry. Don't be involved in anything that's going to slow you down. And this thing, look at me again. Verse 9. This is what Kohelet is saying. See what is above the sun. No, there is something better. What is better? Relationships. Not just being alone, but being with others. That's what better, I know this is a passage that's read at weddings over and over again. It's not just referring to married relationships. You might say that because, well, two lying together. Guess what? In that day and age, you lied together because you didn't have more than one bed, okay? So, I've lied with Moises during a retreat one time. That happens sometimes. You don't have enough money as a pastor. You've got to sleep with some other guy, okay? That happens, okay? So, it's talking about relationships here. You see, what Koheleth is seeing is that when you are in relationship with other people, you are starting to see what's above the sun. I don't even know this, but people are eternal. Did you know that? They're not just temporal. 
beings. If you're a Christian, you believe that people have eternal souls. That when you are interacting with them, you are interacting with someone made in the image of God. That when you are in relationship with them, you are interacting with something made by him, created by him, that one day you might spend eternity with them. You are interacting with something above the sun. But I get it. If you are J. Paul Getty, and you live life like it's just what's under the sun, why invest in other people? They slow you down. I mean, parents out here, kids slow you down. And if they don't, you're probably not doing it right. Parents, you start realizing that life isn't just about you. But you'd say, it's okay. It's okay because it's forming you into something that is above the sun, not just what's under the sun. Into words that we use as Christians like holiness and patience and love and kindness and gentleness. It's funny. J. Paul Getty, at the end of his life, finally saw what Koheleth was observing. This is what he said. I hate to be a failure. I hate and regret the failure of my marriages. I would have gladly given all of my money, all of my millions, just for one lasting success in my marriage. You see, that is the quest of Koheleth. He is searching just what's in the natural world, work, toil, all these things to find meaning. And he's saying, you cannot find it. You cannot find it here. I'm going to close with this illustration and application. Again, if you've checked out, I've said that twice already. If you've really checked out all those times, here's your time to really check in, okay? You're really checking in. Josh prayed for it. Um, Bruce Marker, one of the elders at our church at Emmaus Road, um, just saw him after church. He is literally breathing some of his last breaths. I really don't think he hasn't drunk or ate anything in 72 hours. I... I don't think he'll make it past the day. And some of you might not know this, and I can share this when Carol's not at church and Bruce isn't at church, but I'll share it with you now. Bruce and Carol, they used to live in Delaware, and he worked for the state in Delaware and then worked at a church as a counselor. Not old, he's in his late 60s, he's not that old. And they decided to retire. And one place they loved to go when they were in Delaware was to Maine. And what part of their desire was to retire, retire up in Maine and live that kind of retirement life, you know, the, uh, you know, what, walking the beach, right? 
or whatever it is, rock, walking the rocks in Maine. You know, doing that kind of retirement, basic retirement thing. But for some reason, by God's providence, or maybe a nudging in their spirit, they said, no, we are going to move in our retirement to Appleton, Wisconsin. Who moves to Appleton for the retirement? I don't know. But Bruce and Carol. One reason they moved to be around Carol's parents and to help them, who were older. And the other reason was, and they said this over and over again to me, we moved here to be a part of your church, Emmaus Road. Before we decide to move anywhere, we want to make sure we have a good church. And we came from a really, really big church where we want to help your church plant. So Bruce and Carol, in their retirement, decided to spend their time and energy with our little church, with sinners, with messed up people. Bruce decided to be an elder. Uh, let me tell you something. Being an elder is not a sexy job, okay? It's not titles and, wow, I'm a leader in a church. No, it's hard work, not paid, where you deal with people's crap. Sorry, can I say that in here? Sorry. You deal with people's junk, Okay. It's not a sexy thing, but that's what he decided to do. The truth is, if all that life is is what's under the sun, the choices that Carol and Bruce made made no sense. They make no sense at all. Some of you were here, were there. Thursday night. Thursday night, and I sent an email out, and you know, I thought maybe 20 people show up. What is it, like 70 people in this small room in a circle with Bruce right there in his wheelchair singing songs. And every, I mean, people were just weeping. I mean, people I've never seen cry, you know, and I've tried to make them cry at church or whatever, right? They're just weeping. You see, That moment with that man who decided it's better to invest in other people that are made in the image of God, even though they're crap, to see things that he lived a life above the sun, we got to get a glimpse on Thursday night singing with him of above the sun. We got to just see a glimpse of the eternal right there in that moment. Kim Borden was there, a lady goes to her church, and a couple of Bruce and Carol's friends that they worked with at the Salvation Army had come. And they turned to Kim Borden after the singing and this crying, and they turned to Kim Borden and they said, who are you people? Who are you? Who shows up and does this? Do you know who shows up and does this? People that realize they have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that realize that there is a God that decide, I'm not going just to live above the sun. I'm going to come under the sun and live with you and bear with you and live life and die for you. But you know what is going to be best? 
Not just what's better. But do you know what's going to be best? So we don't see through that clouded lens anymore? Or we don't see through tears that blur our vision? What's going to be best is this, when we are above the sun. And then, then we will see clearly. Then we will see what is best. Then we will see face to face Jesus Christ. And then we will see all the toil, all the work, all the labor that we have done, all the diapers we've changed, all the spreadsheets we filled out, all the times on the floor engineering that you just want to punch someone in the face for not knowing what they're doing. For all the toil and work that you do, you will see clearly and God will say there was purpose, there was meaning, there was a reason that I called you to that. You will see what's best and it will be clear. Let me encourage you. Let me implore you that you would be people that might look at what is above the sun, not just what is under it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for showing us what it's like to live in this world. You did not just run from it. You too labored. You too gave your life. And we got a glimpse with you on the cross and your resurrection of what is better. But one day, Lord, we long for what is best. In your son's name we pray. Amen.